before we start our message, let's uh, take a few moments and let's pray together, and then we can see what, what's in God's Word for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we want to bring before you, uh, first and foremost, Jerry Bonson, as he is having a tough go of it, and we pray that you give him a peace that passes all understanding. Father, I pray that uh, even in his moments where he's lucid, that he would have a, a hope of heaven. And I, as you know, have asked him point blank if he knows you as Lord and Savior, and he does. So, Father, we are grateful for that, that he is one of your children, but he is kind of in the, in the drain right now. He's making it from day to day, and it's just really tough. So we ask that you'd be with Kim and with Molly as their caregivers, that you would give them the stamina that they need, knowing that that is a tough job from day to day. Father, we also pray for those, in, whether it be Mike Hoagland or Brian Lane, we pray for each of them and their individual needs for, for Mike as he is, uh, seems to improve. We ask that you'd allow him to continue, but also for Brian as he's waiting for a kidney and a pancreas transplant. And that can be a, a tough thing to do, to wait and know that one day it may come or maybe it won't. So we ask that you would uh, give Brian what he needs, and that is what he needs, a liver or a, a, a kidney and a, a pa pancreas. So... We would ask that you would provide that for him in a, in a way that only you can. Father, we also thank you for how you have provided for the needs of this church, whether it be financial or emotional or with friendships. We thank you for how this church is functioning as, as a small group that we love one another and we care for one another, and we are just grateful for that, that things are, are going well, even in the, in, you're working in the midst of us from week to week. So now, fathers, we kind of tackle a, a tough subject. We ask that there would be clarity of speech, that there would be good listening, and that we'd be able to communicate the truths of Scripture well. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you turn your Bibles, we're going to continue on in Matthew <clears throat> chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And as you've noticed over the last weeks that we've done this, as a, a subject comes up, we, we address it. And we don't skip a few verses and just go on to something else. We just take it from topic to topic. And the, the topic that we're, we're going to be talking about this morning is, is located in Matthew 5, 31 and 32. And before I start, if this is going to be on divorce. <clears throat> before I start, I just want to, I want to say this. That no two verses, and there's other verses in Scripture as well, and we're going to be going over those, but no two verses have been more debated more commented on, interpreted, reinterpreted, poured over, wept over, and argued about than these verses in Matthew, and you will see other ones in Mark and Luke, Exodus and Deuteronomy, and it's a lot of verses, and they try and weave it all together. So I'm not going to say this morning that you're going to get the authoritative truth but I can tell you what verses are in play and what people do to decide whether divorce is sanctioned or whether it's not sanctioned and the things that go into that decision. And before I start, it would be helpful if we'd look at the back of your, your bulletin where the, the outline customarily is. I wrote a little, a little uh, paragraph there. It says, Right on the back of your, your bulletin, it says, Divorce and remarriage have occurred in many families, and the ripple effects of this act are often felt for a lifetime. The circumstances regarding why someone sought a divorce and remarriage can be unique to their personal situation, and I doubt if I will be able to adequately address specific situations, even though I will be teaching on this topic for two weeks. 
In an attempt to make my teaching more personal, I am inviting anyone to participate in a written question and answer. Next week, I will address the written questions that have been submitted, and please make these questions anonymous. So I'm affording any of you, any and all of you, an opportunity because this has affected so many people and so many families that if I give the message up here and say, okay, you got it, go ahead and go, and you go, but how does that actually work in the situation that I am? And some are fairly clear, and some are really convoluted. So what I'm asking you to do is, if you wish, and, and do it anonymously, and that way I can, I can speak freely, and I don't know exactly who I'd be talking to, you can submit a question, but that's the point, is you can't give me a narrative of how bad it was for one to live with the other, and then it went with this, and it went with that, and you're giving me a lot of facts, and at the end of it I'd say, okay, what's your question? Okay, you gotta ask me a question. Okay, you can't just give me a lot of facts, and it was really bad, or it was really good, and he tried, and they went for years and years. I go, okay, okay, that's fine. What's your question? So that is incumbent on you to, to what, share whatever you want to share, or in brevity if you want to share, but you've got to ask a question. And then I'll do what I can to address that. <laughs> so it should be evident, as we study God's Word, that marriage is meant to be permanent. We have, to, we, we're, we have to start at a point where we can all agree. And we should agree that marriage was meant to be permanent. The marriage relationship is one that is for life, but of course we know that not all marriages achieve permanent, permanence, both in this society at large and within the church. This absolutely affects people within the church. And there are two phrases that are used that, that are what I call, I call this the slow boat to divorce, is there's estrangement and separation. Estrangement means you become strangers. You've, one is living in Nebraska and one is living in Alaska and you're just estranged and you really don't know each other anymore, you've just lost contact. Then there's separation. Well, separation is detached. You're just not connected. Okay? There's, there's a difference in extreme. Estrangement is much more as, I have no idea what he or she has been doing. We haven't communicated for a year. I, I have no idea what they're doing. Or other ones, you have kids that are in the mix, and it's a separation, and, and you keep in contact because it requires it for you to raise kids or for, for some other reason. So then you have divorce and remarriage. So question is, what's the Christian perspective? What is the Christian position on this? And I will say this, the divorce has affected the life of Sally and I. So we're not immune to this. And I will tell you straight up that when I was doing the study for this, and when I've done a studies in the past that have been involved in separation and divorce, is I find myself looking for justification that it was biblical. I do. And, and I go, okay, no, what does the Bible say, regardless of what has happened in my life or what has happened in your life, what can we find from the Bible that we can kind of camp on? So that is oftentimes implied in a discussion, implied in a question is, I have biblical justification, or my kids do, or my relative, or my uncle, my aunt, or my nephew, or my niece, they, they have biblical justification, right? 
I'm not here just to give blanket justification, but we're going to talk about what that looks like and what it does not look like. Look like. Is divorce permissible? Whether a Christian divorce or a non-Christian divorce. Is divorce entirely forbidden? Or maybe it's permissible under circum certain circumstances, but then which circumstances? Is there a, uh, are there certain circumstances when a Christian can remarry? Or, if you get divorced, can you not get remarried? Or what is the position of the church towards those who have done whatever of these things and they have done them wrongly? Then what? Well, <clears throat> I'll say this is kind of an overview. In many churches, the problem of divorce and remarriage are minimized or ignored. Church standards and policies either do not exist or they are accommodated to the whims of the congregation. Often when these problems are faced, there are, they are not dealt with on a firm scriptural basis. Many church leaders admit having no clear understanding of what the Bible precisely teaches about the rightness and the wrongness of divorce. As is my custom, I have an outline for you. And it is going to be really helpful if you listen carefully because I've, I'm kind of weighing my words and trying to say them correctly. Uh, so you listen correctly and hopefully will communicate rightly. There are four interpretations of bi the biblical data on divorce and remarriage. There's four possible interpretations and there's only four. There are no others. The first one is the strictest view embraced by some, and that is divorce is not possible under any circumstances or for any reason. That is the strictest view, and frankly, it is held by some people and by some churches. You cannot get a divorce for any reason, which means you don't even have to talk about remarriage because there is no such thing as remarriage because you can't get a divorce for any reason. The most permissive view on the opposite end of the spectrum is both divorce and remarriage are permissible for any reason or no reason. That's the other extreme. First, you can't do it at all for any reason. Here, you can do it for any reason or no reason. Now we get into the weeds where we talk about the two middle views. The third one is, these are, these are in-between views. On letter C, divorce is permitted under certain circumstances, and remarriage is never permitted. That's the third view that is held by some. And the fourth view is both Divorce and remarriage are permitted. Both divorce and remarriage are permitted under certain circumstances. Now, if we look at the scriptures and see what it has to say, I will guarantee you that every one of you will fall into one of these choices. Guaranteed. There's only four choices. So you're going to fall somewhere. So let's take a look at what the scriptural uh, basis is for marriage, for divorce, if there is any. But let's start at the very beginning is the, the God's original plan or the teachings of the Old Testament. 
And the teachings of the Old Testament where God wanted to have permanence in the marriage. So how did this all come about? I mean, why am I starting with Adam and Eve in the garden, and they're going to be talking about marriage, the very first marriage with Adam and Eve? Why, why am I going there? Well, I'll tell you why, and this is where it starts to get a little bit spread out, because so far I've talked to you about Matthew 5, 31 and 32. If you take a look at your, at your outline, you'll see at the very top I have all those different verses. Okay, those are some of the, the main verses right under the introduction. Those are some of the main verses regarding divorce and remarriage. So now we're starting to broaden the framework of the biblical references regarding divorce. So first we just had Matthew 5, 31 and 32. My question to you is, why are we going back to Adam and Eve? Because of the Matthew 19 and the Mark passage, which I'm going to read for you. I'm going to, I'm going to read the, the Matthew one, although the Mark one is very, very similar. I'm going to be reading Matthew 19, starting at verse 1. And this is what the situation is, is the scribes and the Pharisees came up to Jesus, and they, they were kind of trying to trick him. They go, Jesus, what about this? And their question is, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Verse 3 of Matthew 19. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? One of our choices. You can take a look at the four choices that, that I just gave you. They're saying, can we divorce for any reason or no reason? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. I said to you, why am I going back to Adam and Eve? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Is when he was being tested with the question from the Pharisees, he took them all the way back to Genesis, and he rehearsed, says, now listen, this is why man, man and woman were originally brought together. So we're going to do that here in just a minute, but we're not done reading the passage in Matthew 19. Verse 7, it says, Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man gives his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And then the disciples had a discussion with them, but for our purposes, that's all that we need. Now, <clears throat> here's where there needs to be some clear communication and some clear understanding on your part, is the, the verse that we talked right at the end, it says, verse 9, it says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. That is what's called the exception clause. 
the exception clause is in Matthew. It is not in the Mark passage. So you have, you have the exception clause in, in Mark, in Matthew 19, and then we're reading in the Sermon on the Mount on Matthew 5. Those two are on one side. Then you take the Mark 10 passage. It has almost the exact phrase, the, the exact conversation, but it does not have the exception clause. And then you can also look at the Luke passage. It does, certainly doesn't have the exception clause. It, it says literally that it, you, you cannot get remarried if you have a divorce. So you got on the one side, you got Bible passages that are inspired, inspired word of God, that do not contain the exception clause. Then you got the Matthew passage. It does have the exception clause. And now we jump into the gutter, so to speak. What was the meaning of the passage? Because some good and right people say what, Matt, what uh, Mark and Luke are saying is no divorce and no remarriage. That's what they're saying. And some go, no, 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 no. You need to look at the Matthew passage because the Matthew passage has the exception clause. And therefore, there is a reason why you can get a divorce. So now you see the tension that goes on. And there's explanations that I could keep you here a lot longer and you go, man, I'm, this is the best sleep I'm having all week is hear all these different arguments of why we're doing it. So I'm, I'm trying to stay away from the weeds and where it gets boring. But some have said, I'll just leave it at this, some have said that the, that the Mark and the Luke passage do not have the exception clause because it was so well understood and so well accepted that they did not need to be explained again. It did not need to put in there because everybody knew about it you got to be a little nervous about making a Bible doctrine out of biblical silence. You've you got to be a little nervous about that because they, well, it was so clear that that's what they wanted, that's why they didn't say it. Well, okay, we'll just leave that there. And a lot of people have struggled over this particular thought. But Jesus went to Adam and Eve, and that is what we're going to do. We're going to go to Adam and Eve and see what it has to say and that would be the Genesis 2 passage. And it says in verse 18, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then we skip down to uh, a few verses beyond that. It's 20b. For, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought it to the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And I want to just say a few words about the, the tw verse 24 and 25 passage as it follows your notes. It says, for this reason, a man will leave his father. That is the word cleave. What is interesting about the English word cleave is it has two meanings that are exactly the opposite. Cleave means to cling to someone. It also means to cut in two and to separate. It all depends on its usage. And on this particular usage, cleave means that you'll leave your father and mother 
and you will cling to the other person. Leaving means severance. You leave your mom and your dad. You are joined together with, and it says, and you are united with your wife, which implies permanence. They became one flesh, which means there was unity. And the third one is the man and the the wife were both naked and they felt no shame, which tells about intimacy. Now, you can do a whole message on this particular thing, but the point is, is you left your family, you made a brand new household, and of all the people that I've married, many, many, many times, I'd say I'd like to introduce to you for the first time so-and-so. Never been there before. Never, ever said, Ken and Sally Van Coten. Never said that before until the day we got married. So it's a brand new family unit. And I'm going to read you in brevity just some vows that are given when you have a marriage. And and the reason I'm doing this is we're talking about the, the severance and the permanence, the unity that we see in Scripture, and now we're going to see what is it oftentimes what people promise when they stand up in front or they stand before whomever, because what the discussion is is divorce and remarriage. So really, what are they walking away from? So we'll just use, just because I picked a name, I'll use the name Dave. Dave, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together in holy marriage, Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her, and forsaking all others, keep only unto her as long as you both shall live? And then if you want to have Jane as the other part, you'd say the same thing, and they both say, I will. So then you say, Dave, repeat these words after me. I will love you. And, of course, Jane is going to repeat the same words. I will love you, and because of that love and in the knowledge that God has brought us together, I take you to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better and for worse, for richer and for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and honor and to cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance, and thereto I pledge you my faithfulness. They're pledging a lot. And these are the, some of the shorter ones. When I tell a, a potential husband and wife, I say, don't, don't promise the world. You won't be able to keep it. Okay? They want to promise everything from soup to beans. I go, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Exchanging of the rings. As a token and a seal of the covenant you have just made to each other, you will each give and receive a ring. A covenant is a binding and solemn agreement made by two or more individuals. Today, you have made a covenant, a binding agreement to love, honor, and cherish each other for the rest of your lives. That's what they agree to. Now, this is the starting point of what this whole marriage thing is. And then one day, we're getting to estrangement, Separation, divorce, and remarriage. So are we allowed to get there? Well, I'll say this at the, at the front end of my instruction, as it says in your notes, without exception, divorce is a product of sin. 
without exception, and God hates it. He never commands it, he never endorses it, and he never blesses it. We start at that particular point. Without exception, divorce is a product of sin, and God hates it. He never commands it, endorses it, or blesses it. So what is the basis for the teachings of the rabbis? Where, where are they coming from? Well, this is, this is what has been going on. Is in Deuteronomy chapter 24, what has happened is there, there you'll see that Moses gave the people a certificate of divorce. Now, there, at the particular time the Jews were asking these questions, there was two schools of thought. In your notes, you'll see that there was one called the school of Hillel. And the school of Hillel said, divorce for any or no reason. Then there was the school of what was called the school of Shammai. And the school of Shammai was only for uh, marital unfaithfulness. So what the, what the Pharisees really wanted to do is they wanted to draw Jesus into the discussion. Jesus, who are you for? Are you for the school of Hillel? Or are you for the school of Shammai? Which one is it? And Jesus skirts the whole thing, and he goes back to Adam and Eve, and, he, and they says, yes, 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 that's true about Adam and Eve, but, but isn't it true that Moses allowed them to have a certificate of divorce? And he said, yes, Moses did, because your hearts were hard. So what these Pharisees are saying, is it okay for us to divorce our wife for any and every reason? And let me give you a couple reasons of what that might be. You could divorce your wife for such trivial things as burning your meal or embarrassing you in front of your friends. Or you could divorce your wife for speaking disrespectfully of my parents. For any of those reasons and others, you could divorce your wife. Now, what is important for you to understand in this Deuteronomy 24 passage where it talks about a certificate of the divorce, we are not, we are not talking adultery. Not anywhere in the De Deuteronomy 24 passage are we talking about marital unfaithfulness or divorce. And you say, well, how can you say that? Because in the, Le the Leviticus 20 verse 10, if you are ever caught and it's proven that you were engaged in adultery, you were stoned. You were killed. So this passage does not talk about adultery, because that was off the table. If anybody was ever caught in adultery and it was proved, you could take them out and stone them, so it was a non-issue. There was no remarriage. We didn't need to talk about remarriage, because they were gone. So what is this certificate of divorce? Well, that is when you find something odd or something that is displeasing to you regarding your spouse. And Jesus says, no, we allowed you to have that only because of the hardness of your heart. It was not meant to be that way. Well, another reason the Pharisees would bring this up is some have taken the view that when Adam and Eve originally were married at the first marriage, they, th there was a certain um, ability to be engaged in the marriage that God originally intended. But when they sinned, that all changed. So some hold the view that 
Well, certainly you could have the marriage God intended when Adam and Eve were perfect, but when Adam and Eve sinned, everything changed and God no longer expects us to live that way, knowing that we now have depraved lives and we live in sin and all the things that were going on. And so the question is, is that true? Is that true? But certainly it was a different environment for Adam and Eve, but now that they've sinned, are we relieved from those restrictions and Malachi would tell us very very clearly that God hates divorce he hates divorce and it came up in the Malachi situation because there were so many divorces in the, in the nation of Israel that God was no longer hearing the prayers of the Israelites because they had walked away from a binding covenant so the the notion or the explanation that you can you don't have to abide by the rules that Adam and Eve had because they sinned, that doesn't hold water. You still need to. But the question is, this certificate of divorce, can you uh, divorce a woman for that? Well, yes, you can. And now we go back to what I said a little while ago. The Matthew passages have the exception clause. The Mark and the Luke passage do not have the exception clause. This is how I look, how I reconcile these two. Is I go, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and righteousness that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. I don't take one camp or take the other camp. I take them both. Because just because I choose one doesn't mean you exclude the other one. And if I take this one, that doesn't mean that this is no longer accurate either. One just gives us more information than the other. So yes, in my world, you can have marital unfaithfulness is a grounds for divorce. But here's where you get into the really, really difficult weeds, is what if you have a person We'll take it very clearly. They have adultery. The, the husband or wife has adultery with another party. That's pretty clear. But what if they have mental adultery? They go out on dates. They talk to each other on the phone. They text. There's an emotional connection, but there's never been a physical connection. What do you do with that? And I'm not here to stand before you and say it's going to be A, B, or C. I'm going to say that before God, they're going to have to stand and give an answer for what they did. Because you can, what I call, I call it is cutting the pie a little, little smaller slices, and so we say, but clearly if there's physical adultery, oh yeah, you can do that. Well, what about this? What about this? Well, what about this? What about that? And it gets to be such a tight, tight question that you go, oh my word, you know, this gets to be really, really difficult I don't, and I don't want to put myself as being the judge and the jury because that's a really bad place to be, especially when it's something as confusing as this. So what has happened as a result of this, there are some pastors that go way over to the side and they go, I will never remarry anyone. I will never, ever remarry anyone for any reason. Okay. Except death. Then they, then they would remarry them. Then you have others that go over here and they go, you know all this stuff that Pastor Ken's talking about and all these different nuances and all these different passages, I just really don't understand them all. So I'll marry anybody. 
I'll marry anybody. If they want to come, they want to get, they want to get divorced, I'm really not going to say. And if they want to get married, I'm really not going to say. Because I just don't want to get into all the weeds of what the Scripture has to say. So say, so I'm just over here, and frankly, we're not going to make a church policy on it. And it's just kind of like, you know what? It'll all just sort out in the end, and we don't have to worry about it. So those, those are the camps that you get, because this takes a lot of discernment. It takes a lot of thinking, and how do you want to weigh this all out? But we can say, I think, my interpretation of Scripture, and I, and I think it is what I, what I use, is, is this a reasonable interpretation of Scripture that does not violate other portions of Scripture? Okay? If you have marital unfaithfulness, that is a reason for divorce. Jesus made it very clear that it is not right to, to divorce a woman for any reason, and I, and I just saw this this morning, what I thought was kind of interesting, is in the, the Matthew 5, verse 32 pa uh, passage, it says, But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. How could it cause her to become an adulteress? Well, in the days of the Jews when this was written, is a woman needed the support and the protection of a man in order to, frankly, to, to be viable to survive. If you didn't have somebody protect you or provide for you, there's, a, there's certainly a reasonable chance you just wouldn't survive. So it was expected that if a woman was given a certificate of divorce and divorced, she was going to remarry. She was going to. She, she, in those days, it was incumbent on her to find someone that could provide for her and protect her. So Jesus is saying here, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress because that woman needs to get married so somebody can take care of her. So that's where that came from in that particular, uh, that particular phrase. It says, and anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. And we could say this much, at least initially. Is, there, is, is adultery the unforgivable sin? No, it is not. But we can say that if you marry a divorced woman and, and you, you marry her and it's the, the situations are not biblical, then you're committing adultery. We know that. It says it very clearly. So the question is, of all the questions that can come up, where do you land? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of stop it right there. Next week, we're going to be talking about two things that are kind of parallel, desertion, abandonment, and abuse. And those can get into some really, really deep weeds because there's various degrees of what that looks like. But the point that I want to say and, and to clarify is Jesus initially, marriage was meant to be permanent. It was meant to be God-honoring and to move from the vows that I told you a little while ago and to somehow, over time, migrate to a point where you're going, how can I biblically divorce my spouse and get out of this? You've covered a lot of ground to get over here. you covered a lot of ground. And the point that Jesus wants to make is the best is to stay married. But there are exceptions to that in my world. So now, both in my world and in your world, you're going, I sure hope that, that what happened in my family 
fits those exceptions so that we can be biblical. So I'm not, even, even when I bring up unfaithfulness, abandonment, and abuse, it is not my intention to throw open the floodgates so basically we can fit our situation into one of those categories and we have a biblical divorce. That's not the point. The point is, is to give deference to some really, really difficult situations knowing full well that some, some pastors over in this camp over here do not give deference to that. I've read of stories where you had a, a pastor and a church board and there was, there was severe, severe abuse in a, in a, a marriage. And the, the church finally conceded to allow the gal to separate, but to never remarry. You're going, yikes. I mean, that, you, you can't necessarily point to a, a chapter and a verse that says they're right or they're wrong. A lot of this, this issue has to do with a heart attitude. What is the attitude of the heart? Am I looking for a way out or am I looking for ways to stay in and make this marriage all that it can be? So this is kind of part one, and you can see that this gets really dicey. And I'm taking a bit of a risk, and, and if one of your questions is really hard, I'm sure I'll lose it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But I'm, I'm willing to take the risk and at least try and, and address them. And on some of them, it's entirely possible to say, you know what, I can't really scripturally answer this with conviction. And I'm, some of these gets to be so gray. So we're going to be also throwing in next week the 1 Corinthians 7 passage, which talks about living with an unbeliever and an unbeliever, and what that looks like and how that plays into some of the explanations of what we've, what we've been talking about so far. So... We're kind of we're leaving it midstream, but that was my intention. Uh, next week I'll probably say, are there any other questions? But not this week. <laughs> we're not going to say that. So I hope that this at least lays the groundwork for where we're going to be going and the various passages, and it, would, it might be helpful for you to read the, the Matthew 5, Matthew 19 passage for next week, and then the Mark 10 and the Luke, I forget which one it was, uh, it was a, I guess I don't have it written down there. I think it's Luke 10. I'm not real sure. Uh, but those talk about divorce not using the exception clause. The Matthew passages do use the exception clause. So that will kind of get you to where you got to go. So worship team, come on up here. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, we are, we're grateful for your word, and sometimes these things are hard to wrestle with, but through it all, I pray that we as a body of believers would want to glorify you and please you in all things, that it would be our heart's desire to treat our spouses as God, as God treated the church, especially for men, that we would love our spouses with our whole heart and that our spouses would provide for us and, and between the two of us we could live lives that bring glory and honor to the Savior. So, Father, we want that to be our goal not the goal of trying to find a way out, but rather a goal that we can glorify you more and more right where we are. In Christ's name we pray.